Hello and welcome everyone to Devour the Podcast. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Listen, asshole! No, you listen, you little bitch! You hang up on me again, I'll cut you like a fish! Who died in my Jeep? Fucking king of the zombies. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another special episode of Devour the Podcast. This is my review, uh, sort of, I don't know, festival, uh, cotillion, my review cotillion. Um, at any rate, it is me trying to watch a horror movie a day. Started this in September, was uh, very rudely interrupted, and then continued in October when it made far less sense to do it. So... Uh, let's get to the seven movies we're going to talk about this week. And I want to start with an oldie, but a baddie, uh, as the kids call them, um, go ship from the year of our Lord, 2002, uh, have a listen to the trailer for go ship. I'm Jack Farrington. I fly the Arctic Weather Patrol. Last month, I was out in the middle of the street when I came across this. Congratulations. You found a boat in the middle of the ocean. What do you think a ship like this could be worth? Depends on if we have the right to salvage it. I do know one thing. Sea gives you an opportunity to take it. Yo, Murph, I think you should get up here. It's an ocean liner. It's the Antonio Grasa. Any sign of what might have happened? Nothing. No passengers. No crew. No captain. No mention of anything in the ship's log. What do you make of that? A Porsche. I think I saw something I couldn't possibly have seen. I think I saw a little girl. ship more like ghost shit am i right <laughs> no all right so look i enjoyed uh house on haunted hill the remake of that and this is written by uh steve beck i'm, I'm sorry directed by steve beck written by uh mark hanlon um it's one of them 
uh, Dark Castle movies when they made a bunch of uh, remade a bunch of William Castle films ish, and um, you know uh, that was Sam Raimi was one of the producers, and uh, who else? Um, Robert Zemeckis. At any rate, it should be better than it is. But Ghost Ship is uh, synops- synopsized thusly. A salvage crew discovers a long-lost 1962 passenger ship floating lifeless in a remote region of the Bering Sea and soon notices that its long-dead inhabitants may still be on board. Uh, it stars Gabriel Byrne as Murphy, Ju- Juliana Margulies as Epps, uh, Isaiah Washington as Greer, Carl Urban as Munder, Emily Browning as uh, the little girl in it, which is kind of crazy. Um and some other people don't matter none. So I really like uh return uh, not return uh, the house on haunted hill, not return a house on haunted hill, which is a movie that is not nearly as good. Um it all right, so here's the thing. The reason that I watched this was one I had so good, uh, such a good time rewatching house on haunted hill recently and I was thinking Maybe I remember Goship being worse than it was. And, of course, it puts its best foot forward. Goship has one of the coolest openings to uh, a horror movie of that era, I think, which is, um, you know, a bunch of people dancing on the ship in 1962 and being all excited uh, about being on a boat and whatnot. And then uh, some wires break and... Everyone gets cut in half and thirds and trisected and bisected and quadsected and whatnot. And it's really cool. It's a there are some decent effects and it's just really gruesome and it's really fun. And unfortunately, that's kind of as good as the movie ever gets. Uh there's a bit of the shining with Gabriel Byrne being, you know, kind of off the sauce, but being tempted by a ghostly bartender aboard the ship. And uh, uh, Isaiah Washington keeps getting haunted by a party. And Juliana Margulies, uh, who just is fine in the role, you know? And, like, there's this whole thing about, like, oh, what the ghosts want is to get back to port. Whoa! Uh, It's all kind of dumb. And it, it... it's unfortunate that it's not a better movie um, because it starts so well and it is, it's got some good gore uh, for the time. And then it all just turns into a bunch of either derivative and or boring shit that doesn't matter. And it, it's frustrating, but uh, you know, Hey, we can't start off strong every time. So, uh, go ship. What would I give it in terms of stars? Uh, it's a two star movie, you know, that like it gets two stars for the first five minutes and then everything else is kind of trash. Um, but uh, if you've never seen the first like five, 10 minutes of go ship, you should watch the first five or 10 minutes of go ship. It's uh it's really creepy and, and, and gory and fun. Uh, so watch that. And now the next film uh, this one you may have heard of. It is has become a yearly staple. You're going to see that a lot of these movies uh, as we approach um, Halloween become, you know, a little more quality. And the next one is one of my favorites. 
It is, of course, uh, Cabin in the Woods. Uh, and have a listen to the trailer for nothing else than, you know, nostalgic reasons. So uh, here's the trailer for Cabin in the Woods. Everybody ready? The show on the road. Doesn't even show up on the GPS. It's unworthy of global positioning. That's the whole point. Get off the grid, right? Hello? I'm thinking this thing doesn't take credit cards. Sign says closed. We're looking for, uh, what's it called? Tillerman Road. Not to get you there. Getting back. That's your concern. Oh, this is awesome. Whoa, no way. have passed through the gate. They are come to the killing floor. Get this party started! I seriously believe something weird is going on. What is that thing? We have to stay together. This isn't right. We should split up. Yeah, good idea. Really? We gotta get out of here. Somebody sent those things here to get us. You're missing the point. They want to see us punished. So the cabin in the woods is uh, from 2012, uh, not that long ago, but you know, man, what a great movie! Um, the synopsis is: five friends go for a break at a remote cabin where they get more than they bargained for, discovering the truth behind the cabin in the woods. This is directed, of course, by Drew Goddard and written by Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard. Uh, it stars uh, Chris Hemsworth as Kurt, Kristen Connolly as Dana. Anna Hutchison as Jules, uh, Fran Kranz as Marty, uh, Jesse Williams as Holden, Richard Jenkins, uh, the estimable Richard Jenkins as Sitterson, and Bradley Whitford, the merman-obsessed uh, Hadley. Um, as well as uh, Amy Acker as Lynn, and, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, other other people. Um, look, what what is there to say about Kevin in the Woods, really? It is one of the finest dissections of what makes horror movies great. Uh, it is a parody in, a, in many ways of horror films while still being an entirely loving homage to the genre in general. There are references to everything from, you know, Creature in the Black Lagoon to Hellraiser. It was written and directed by people who clearly love this stuff. Uh, it's very funny. Um, it's kind of gruesome. There, uh, rewatching, it, I'd kind of forgotten 
how bloody it is and it, it certainly is and and the uh the dude getting the uh bear trap in the back is one of the more disgusting things i've seen recently but yeah it it's just a fantastic film like approaching the tire tropes of horror of you know whether it's the final girl or um you know undead redneck zombies uh or what is it religious redneck zombies versus what zombies are and, and you know like just being able to acknowledge how almost routine some of these nightmares are in cinema and at the same time put them on display in a way that that is entirely both affectionate and effective um the tumble that chris hemsworth takes down the wall of uh you know the the insulated place the uh simulator that they've got these kids in i think is wonderful the cutaway to the japanese classroom where the little girls have turned their ghost into a frog and are singing this happy song about it. It, there are so many little moments that are incredibly fun and silly. And it still also hangs together as a narrative, uh, in a way that I really enjoy. I'm like, by the time you get to the end of it and spoilers for cabin in the woods, if you haven't seen it, um, and the decision has come down to, hey, we need to sacrifice you guys so that the old gods don't return. And the decision that's very Snake Plissken-esque, it's a very, uh, you know, Escape from New York kind of thing of just like, fuck it, let the world burn. It's just terrific. It's so good. Uh, everything about Cabin in the Woods, I, I think, is is kind of wonderful i i you know i remember seeing it in the theater and being blown away by it and every time i watch it since um i i like it even more i i i don't have one but what i want dearly is i want a t-shirt that's got all the um monsters listed on like the board that they use to bet on to determine the method of the the kids deaths um i think that would be a great shirt to have. Um, and, and one other shout out just to a scene that I love, uh, because look, this is just an excuse to talk about how amazing cabin in the woods is, um, is the, the scene with the old crackpot who runs the gas station and Bradley Whitford assuring him he's not on speakerphone when he most certainly is all that stuff. Like, like that is completely unnecessary to the film itself. Uh, but it, it gives it a flavor and a, a, a sort of weird realism, you know, or, or at least within its own heightened reality where, you know, the apocalypse is done as an office job, which is also sort of one of the genius moves that Cabin in the Woods makes. It's just an incredible movie. And as such, uh, on, a, on our Devour the Podcast scale... One being lowest, five being highest, uh, half stars are allowed, but not quarter stars. We are not monsters. You know, Kevin in the Woods gets an easy five stars for me. I, I think it's a wonderful film. And if you haven't seen it or if it's been a while since you've seen it, uh, you should give it a watch again. It, it only gets better with time in my mind. So uh, let's get to something 
that I had never seen before. Um, and it, it was a strange gap in my viewing uh, history, I felt. But that is uh, The Skeleton Key. So uh, have a listen to that trailer right now. My grandma and your grandma were sitting by the fire. My grandma told me... Oh, my God. You have a visitor. After that, Miss Caroline Ellis. She works down at the hospice in New Orleans. He can't talk at all? Stroke pretty much paralyzed him. Happened about a month ago, up in the attic. Take good care of my husband. Be good to his house. There are more than 30 rooms in all. For the owner, they made a skeleton key. This will open every door. The key you gave me for the house, there's a door in the attic, it doesn't open. That was their room. They were trying to conjure up hoodoo. You know what hoodoo is? It's magic. Leave it alone. I've seen the room. No, child, you don't know what you've seen. You see him in the mirrors. Can't expect me to believe that you see ghosts in your mirrors. Whatever they did to him, I'm not going to let him do it to me. That brick does. How's it work? Nobody that means you harm can cross it. Help. Who are you afraid of? Tell me who you're afraid of. You lay a line down. It's how you tell who the enemies are. It is time, Lord. I suggest you leave that house. Can't hurt you if you don't believe. I don't believe. No, I don't believe. It's real. It's all real. Hey, so the skeleton key came out in uh, 2005. It is directed by Ian Softley, uh, who had done uh, the film Hackers and K-Pax. That's not a very good movie. Um, It's really, it's surprisingly watchable, but only because of how bad it is. Uh, And then he also did after this, uh, Inkheart, which probably, I mean, that seems to have effectively ended his... uh, his career in directing features other than a movie called um, Trap for Cinderella that I had never heard of. At any rate, um, it is uh, written by Aaron Kruger, who is uh, the one of the writers on the adaptation of The Ring. Um, the American adaptation of that is writing the, the live-action Dumbo for Disney, Apparently is going to be in on the talisman. Um, wrote a bunch of the, them uh, later Transformers movies. And they ain't nothing to scream about. As well as Scream 3. Also not something to scream about. At any rate. So uh, it stars Kate Hudson as Caroline Ellis. Gina Rollins as Violet Devereaux. John Hurt as Ben Devereaux. Peter Sarsgaard as Luke Marshall. And Joy Bryant as Jill. 
um, and is synopsisized, synopsisized, synopsized, given a synopsis thusly. A hospice nurse working at a spooky New Orleans plantation home finds herself entangled in a mystery involving the house's dark past. And I had never seen this film, largely because I am not necessarily given to movies about um, voodoo or hoodoo uh, that you do so well. Uh, nor am I given to film starring Kate Hudson. I don't. I think she's a very pretty lady. I don't necessarily think she's always the best actress. So, uh, but, you know, I had never seen it and felt like, hey, let's give this a spin. And it turns out I liked it a whole lot more than I thought I was going to. Um, I think that it, it turns out that watching a movie about uh, this kind of voodoo um, or hoodoo, as the case may be in the uh, in this film, um, working it, its insidious magic in the bayou of uh, Louisiana, um, I found to be really enjoyable. I thought, you know, the atmosphere was great uh, and conducive to being you know, just generally spooky. Um, you know, the, the fact that, um, right off the bat, like John Hurt is clearly, uh, alarmed and, uh, at something that's going on with Gina Rollins. I, I will say, I do not find the movie to be surprising at all. I don't know if I had heard how the movie ended or what, but I called it from the cheap seats kind of where I was like, Oh, I know how this movie is going to wrap up. And yet I I'm down to watch it, you know? Uh, it, it seems like it's going to be a good time. So I, I enjoyed it on that level. Like I said, plenty of atmosphere, the, the use of magic I thought was kind of fun. And also this larger notion that you, Oh, once you believe that it can work, then it does. Um, I, I find something interesting about that. You know, the, the sort of not necessarily collective, um, hysteria or, or anything of, of entertainment. But I think you can make the larger point that the movie is sort of saying something about, um, you know, the horror film in general that like, Hey, if you believe in whatever the premise is, then it can scare you. Then it can get you. Um, maybe I'm reading a bit too much into it, but I, that's one of the things I pulled out of it. It's fun to see, uh, Peter Sarsgaard, in uh, what would be a fairly early role, I do believe. And he's really good in it, although the accent he's doing, I don't know where it comes from. It could be a Louisiana accent, for all I know. I, I only know one guy from Louisiana, and he doesn't talk like that. Um, he talks with a, a real accent. Maybe Then again, maybe the guy I know is from Mississippi. So, eh, maybe it is a perfectly fine Louisiana accent. I don't know. It seemed a little corn-pone to me, but what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, aside from the, the fact that it, it's largely predictable, um, and, and I felt like from about the 20 minute mark or so, it's like, I know how this movie is going to wrap up or certainly what the thrust of the ending is going to be. Um, I wish it had held a few more surprises. I wish it had zigged instead of zagged, uh, as anticipated. Um, but all that being said, I think it is plenty fun um, Kate Hudson, I think is, is, is just fine in it. I don't think she's mind blowingly good, but I think she's fine. And yeah, at the end of the day, I just found it to be a, a real entertaining, uh, little horror film. And, um, I would give it three and a half stars. I, I would recommend it. Uh, if you haven't seen the skeleton Cree, skeleton Cree, 
which is about the Native American people, the Skeleton Cree. Um, no, if you <laughs> haven't seen the Skeleton Key, you should give it a watch. I, I think it was either on Amazon Prime or Netflix or one of them. Uh, you know, free if you pay for that service. And uh, I had a good time with it. It was uh, it was fun. So next up is a film entitled The Blacksmith and the Devil, uh, available on uh, on Netflix. Speaking of that service, and uh, let's give that trailer a listen. Also, one of them foreign language trailers. Uh, I'll try to find a dub version. If not, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Alfredo Ortiz no fue diputación con comisario. Contuvo a Tiger Senarines. No le duda y te querré mentiría. Talvito quiere al chan, harto de guisú. Es que retado con video. Quiero seguir recari. La zona no te. No has tibili. Tú quieres rantear por aquí sí. So also entitled Eramentari. I don't know why I did it with an Italian accent because it's not an Italian film. It is uh, actually from uh, from Portugal. It is directed by Paul Orquio Alio, Alio maybe, um, who had only done short films up until uh, the the Blacksmith and the Devil. Uh, it is described this way by the good people at IMDb. Edimentari, the blacksmith and the devil, is a retelling of an ancient fable about a blacksmith who finds himself battling the devil. In this story, the blacksmith has captured a demon and lives a life of hermit-like seclusion away from the prying eyes of the townsfolk. All is going well until a desperate little girl, Usu, accidentally stumbles across the devil and unknowingly releases him. It is then left to the blacksmith to reclaim his bounty, but this is easier said than done, as he also finds himself at the end of a lynch mob that have come searching for the missing Usu. Um, that is largely correct, although it is not actually the devil that the blacksmith has captured. It is uh, a demon, and it's a demon that he had made a deal with, and uh, the blacksmith uh, does a move that is referred to in the film Tombstone, uh, which is where I get all of my best dialogue from, uh, as being crawdadded. He crawdads this demon and locks him up instead of dying and letting the demon take him to hell. 
um, this little girl comes along and, you know, reminds the blacksmith of his humanity and whatnot. And in the, uh, in the meantime, yes, the local townspeople are like, Hey, this blacksmith is probably up to no good. And, uh, anyway, so here's the thing about the blacksmith and the devil is I really want to like this movie a lot more than I do. It has a lot of ingredients that I really like. Namely, it has a blacksmith and a devil. And I like both of them things. Um, no, it's really inventive. And it reminds me a lot, strangely, of Haxan. Um, the old silent film where there was a lot of, you know, sort of camera trickery. Early special effects where they use a lot of camera trickery for, like, forced perspectives. And there's a lot of unusual sort of makeup, like the demons look kind of unusual, um, even though the demon that the blacksmith has captured looks very much like the devil, uh, right down to a pitchfork. And I like, uh, the fucking bulls on this movie for having the, uh, the decency to actually go to hell at the end of the movie and sort of give you a look at like, Hey, here's an interpretation of hell. I think a lot of filmmakers are afraid maybe of trying to portray hell and getting it wrong or something. I don't know exactly why not. I don't know why more movies aren't like, Hey, here's a peek at hell, you know, or, or at least our version of it. Um, when you're doing a supernatural film like this, here's my problem with the blacksmith and the devil though, is it's very silly and it was sillier than I anticipated. It was sillier than I was prepared for. And when it starts to get very silly, especially the character of the demon himself that has been captured by the by the blacksmith, he's kind of ridiculous in a lot of ways. And it's just not really what I wanted from this movie. And perhaps that's my fault. But also, I would argue that he's so ridiculous, it kind of drains the film of any weight. He seems very easily fooled and kind of dim-witted. And eh, it was just kind of a bummer. I really wanted to like this movie a ton more. Like I said, I, th I thought it it sounded like such a cool idea. And the idea of having you know a fable about this demon uh, told on film seemed like a great idea. I love that stuff. Like I wish someone would do a modern version of like the Devil and Daniel Webster or something, um, or do a good retelling of. Um, like the Blair Witch, not Blair Witch, I'm sorry, uh, the Bell Witch story, which is a local um, horror horror story about a uh, a witch, uh, as the name implies, um, sort of local to me here in Tennessee. And they've made a couple of movies about it. An American Haunting with Donald Sutherland and uh, Sissy Spacek is probably the most famous example. But they've never gotten that story completely right, and it would be cool if, uh, if they did at some point. Um, but at any rate, Let's not talk about movies that aren't made. Let's talk about the ones that are, like The Blacksmith and the Devil. And yeah, I just I never got around to really enjoying this movie. I thought it was I thought it was fine. I was really with it up until the demon showed up, and that's not what you want to hear out of a movie called The Blacksmith and the Devil. It's like, hey, it was good when there was no demon. And then once there was, I thought it was all a little too lightweight and silly. But visually it's it's incredibly cool. Like there's Make no mistake, there are some really great, uh, some camera tricks and some makeup effects and things like that that are really fun and exciting. And, and I enjoyed seeing that stuff. Um, it, it, 
the tone of the film is is what broke it for me, which um, again is unfortunate. I, I wanted to like this movie a lot, and I, I never did. Um, but but folks, that all being said, uh, what would I rate this film uh, for our our stars system? Um, I'm probably going to give this film a two and a half stars, which is right down the middle. I don't actively dislike this movie. And, and as I said, I think there's part of me that wonders if my problem with the movie isn't a personal one where I just wanted it to be something other than what it is. Uh, but I I would urge you to maybe give it a, a, a shot. It's at the very least, it's visually wonderfully interesting and I wish there had been more of that and less of the kind of silly characterization of the demons. Okay, folks. Uh, so with those four films out of the way, let me take you on a little tour of, uh, some movies I've been watching for no good reason other than I just kind of got on this kick and I, it's not right and I shouldn't be, but here we are. Uh, let's start with the Amityville Horror, not the 1979 one with James Brolin and Margot Kidder. No, no, no. Let's uh, let's do the remake with uh, Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool himself, and Melissa George. So uh, here is the trailer for the remake of the Amityville Horror. <laughs> How's this here a way out of our price range? When the business is good, we're going to have the greatest yeah. house. It's this is an amazing house. You are going to love it. Holy. This is the deal of a lifetime. So, what's the catch? There was a crime, a, a murder. In the house? And several people, a family. claims he heard voices coming from within the house. Well, houses don't kill people. To a perfect house and to a perfect family. Who are you talking to? The girl who lives in my closet. And what's her name? Jody. Shh. What's the matter? I'm just seeing things, I guess. Why don't you come back to bed? I can't sleep. There was a family lived here some time ago. They had a similar problem. I'm living in their house. We need to get out of here. Just back up and go. Everything we have is in this house. It's okay, mommy. Jody won't hurt you. But the man who lives here, he says he's back. in my house. 
Okay, so this movie is from 2005. Um, it is uh, described thusly on IMDb. Newlyweds are terrorized by demonic forces after moving into a large house that was the site of a grisly mass murder a year before. It is written by Scott Kozar uh, from the novel by Jay Anson. Scott uh, Kozar is one of the writers of The Machinist and The Crazies and the remake of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which isn't very good. And anyway, uh, and directed by Andrew Douglas. And Andrew Douglas um, directed a movie called you want me to kill him with the letter U, uh, and a bunch of other crap, uh, did a couple of episodes of Mindhunter, the Netflix series, which uh, was kind of interesting. Also did a documentary called, um, searching for the wrong eye Jesus, which is a documentary about a kind of country Americana musician named Jim White who is a guy I like a lot, is is a very interesting um, songwriter and performer. Um, saw him open for a guy named Will Hogue uh, here in town recently, and or not recently, some time ago now, actually. But if you've never checked out any Jim White, I, w- I would recommend it. Uh, it stars, of course, Ryan Reynolds as George Lutz, Melissa George. Man, let me tell you, I love some Melissa George. She is just cute as a button. Um, and, and is really kind of a modern horror figure. Like if you've never seen triangle, you should watch triangle. Triangle's a crazy good movie. Also stars, uh, Jesse James, Billy Lutz, the most interesting other actors in the film are Philip Baker Hall, who plays father Calloway, who's in it for about five minutes more than I am. And, uh, Chloe Grace Moritz, uh, who plays the, the daughter, Chelsea, and it like for as big a star as she kind of is now, uh, it, it's amazing. This is one of her first performances. I, I would imagine, um, if I, yeah, this is her first feature film. Um, and it's crazy when you look at her, you're like, Oh my God, you look absolutely like Chloe Grace Moritz, which she should, because that's who it is. Um, so, uh, all right. We'll get into the other films in a minute, but I was interested to watch this again because it lived pretty well in my memory. Um, Not necessarily thinking that it was a great movie, but that a lot of people gave it a hard time. And then I watched it again and I was like, oh no, this really isn't very good. I'll tell you what's cool about the movie is the catch them, kill them thing is kind of cool. There is something about the alliteration of that. And I can't remember if it was in the original book. I don't recall it being in the 79 uh, film at all. But something about someone whispering to you, catch him, kill him. There's something about that that I find creepy. And that part of the movie stood out to me. Ryan Reynolds gets a little too evil too quickly for my money in this movie. And that's kind of my biggest problem with the film overall is that he goes from happy-go-lucky George Lutz to I'm going to kill everyone in this house um, a little too fast. I think Melissa George is is good in it. I think Ryan Reynolds is good in it. I just think that, you know, he's following the 
uh, the script, which has him being a little too evil, a little too menacing, a little too early in the film. Um, I, I don't really like the backstory that they provide, uh, for the whole, you know, this was the site of this guy named Ketchum who was doing some dark business in the basement and killing and experimenting on native Americans and that kind of thing. It just feels like a little too much. You know, the, one of the things I kind of like about the original Amityville horror is that it's very simple. It's just, Hey, there's this weird red room and it's a gateway to hell. And why? Maybe some Indian stuff. And, but it doesn't matter because it is, you know, um, what, what matters are the scares. And I think there's a little too much, uh, you know, early two thousands, you know, fast shaking of the head kind of stuff. Um, the, the sort of stuff that you see as well in, uh, the haunting of Hill house, the remake of that movie, which is the one thing that doesn't hold up. Well, I'll tell you what does hold up well in that movie though, is the, when they take an actor, like the, the weird way that everyone moves in that movie and the way you accomplish that, if you didn't know is you shoot an actor moving as slowly as they can and then you speed it up so that it looks like they're moving at a normal speed. But because, you know, human beings being human beings and you're trying to mimic natural movement. And anytime you do that, you're not moving naturally. You're just doing an approximation of that. And it, it looks very unsettling. I wish more movies would do that stuff and not so much the, Hey, we're going to speed up somebody shaking their head. Uh, so you know, that kind of Jacob's ladder, uh, sort of look as well. And there's a little bit of that in the Amityville horror. There is the worst babysitter in the world in this movie, which should have been a better scene than it was. I think, um, I don't know. It was really distracting watching this again. I I hadn't seen this in a long time. So the entire time I was watching, I was like, really Chloe Grace Moretz is in this film, but, and she's fine. I, I think there is a good movie to be made out of the Amityville horror. I would argue that the one in 79 works just fine. One of the creepiest things in that movie to me is the, the constant, um, cold of James Brolin. And I think the scene with losing the money, uh, for the, the brother-in-law's wedding, I think is really good too. There's a lot of stuff in that original movie that I think is just unsettling and kind of unnerving. And it all contributes to that movie being, um, a lot creepier than I think a lot of modern takes on that story have been, even if they're not directly related to the Amityville series, you know, stuff like uh, The Conjuring and that kind of thing. All that stuff has some DNA of Amityville horror in it. And yeah, and this one, it it goes for it. And I appreciate that. It just, I, I don't really care for how quickly it ramps up the menace in this movie. I wanted it to be like, you know, hey, the, this is a story of people who were in a house for 28 days, and then by the 28th day, they were like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. Things have gotten too bad. And yes, you know, there was the implication in the original film as well as in the uh, in the book, which I remember reading as a kid uh, a couple of times, 
that George Lutz was slowly getting to a place where he was going to hurt the family. But in this movie, that's totally what it is. It's just Ryan Reynolds being like, here, hold this wood while I chop it. Don't be a fucking pansy. And yeah, I don't, I don't know that it works real well. Uh, but he has an admirable beard in it. And I, I wish I, I wish I could say the same. So, uh, the Amityville horror, if I'm going to rate that guy, uh, the remake, let's call it, let's call it a star and a half. It's, mm, that might be a little low, but it's not very good. Um, the best part of it, like I said, is that, you know, catch him, kill him. That, that kind of thing is cool. I wish there were more of that and less of the, oh, and then we, we open this door and it's a bunch of pillars and there's uh, a bunch of, you know, people in cells being tortured and whatnot. Uh, don't need it. I don't need that in my haunted house movie. So speaking of, uh, Amityville horrors, I, I got on this kick, right? I just started watching Amityville horror movies, which is something I talked about on morbid Mondays, uh, which you can find on the Legion podcast, uh, channel every Monday, uh, seven o'clock central time, eight o'clock Eastern. Just me, you know, talking about what I've been watching and, and some horror news and, and taking questions and whatnot. So, uh, feel free to join us over there on the Legion podcasts, uh, YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, I was saying I, that I've, I've been kind of getting on this big Amityville horror kick after seeing the remake. I was like, well, let's keep exploring. And that led me to one of the more recent entries into this series, which has way too many movies uh, in in the series, by the way. Um, But this one is Amityville The Awakening, and here's the trailer for that. Home sweet home. That looks great. Besides the fact that I have to move to a completely new school and start all over again. We moved here because St. Alphonse has the best neurological department in New York. This house is going to be good for James. James. I didn't guess. There are no documented cases of anyone with James's injuries ever recovering. Something's not right in here. I keep seeing things, hearing things. It's not you. It's the house. In 1974, the owner of this house murdered his whole family. He said voices told him to do it.
we're just about to start dinner. Emilyville The Awakening is written and uh, directed by Frank Calhoun, who is you know, the guy who brought us uh, Maniac, Maniac, had directed that, the Elijah Wood one that's, that's so fucking good. Um, like, all right, this movie ought to be good. Jennifer Jason Lee is in it. Uh, Bella Thorne, who seems like somebody that might be popular, but I've, I don't recall ever seeing her in anything. But you know, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't see. I don't see all them uh, shows that what kids like. Um, but Jennifer Jason Lee plays the mom, Joan. Bella Thorne plays Belle. Uh, McKenna Grace plays Juliet, the younger sister, and then Cameron Monaghan uh, plays James, the uh, the brother, who uh, apparently is on the show um, Shameless as well. So the premise of this one is that oh oh by the way it's worth pointing out this came out in 2017 just last year but i think it was originally made in like 2015 and they just kept kicking it down uh the release schedule um it produced also by bloomhouse um you know and if you look at the poster for it, it's like from the producers of get out and other movies that were way better than this one and the premise of it is that uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is uh, as the mom. She, one of the kids in her, uh, in her family, the James kid, uh, is that his name? Yeah. James. Um, I just now realized that it's James, Juliet and Joan and then bell. So apparently Jennifer Jason Lee was going with a theme for the kids names. And then when bell came along was like, or something anyway, uh, James is the twin brother to Bell, as played by Bella Thorne, um, and he has uh, been very sick. Um, is basically brain dead, but Jennifer Jason Lee will not give up hope, and has moved to the Amityville house because it is close to a medical facility. Uh, plus, they can afford it because, you know, it's haunted as shit, and that decreases property value. And, <laughs> you know, because you've got to actually uh, disclose that, uh, right? Where you're like, hey, um, th- this house is only going to be, I don't know, $12,000 or whatever you got in your pockets because of the gateway to hell and all. Um, but other than that, you know, it's got a nice view, and there's a boathouse. Um, so at any rate, so yeah, she brings him to this house to, to be closer to a medical facility. And then, you know, of course, right away, it's like, Hey, there's weird shit going on in this house and all the doors keep opening up and blah, blah, blah. So the, the thing that goes down in this movie is that the kid who is in, in bed, uh, starts to act all possessed. Like even when they pull the plug on him and whatnot, he is still, um, surviving you know he breathes on his own just fine and that kind of thing and the other thing that's uh, going on in this movie is that this movie exists in a world where the previous amityville horror movies exist so that the kids are a little too hip when they're like hey let's watch the amityville horror at your house it's you you never get to watch scary movie made uh about the place that is uh the movies about in the place uh-huh 
And it's just like all the characters are insufferably terrible. Um, Bella Thorne as the sister is just constantly trying to kill her brother, which in fairness, like he's supposed to be brain dead. And she's like, you know, mom, he's dead. We need to let him go. How about we pull the plug and maybe drop a safe on him. And I think if we like send him skydiving, he won't be able to open the parachute. That'll maybe wake him up. It's, it's all very silly, but it, the worst sin of the, this movie is that it's kind of boring. You know, usually with the Amityville stuff, you've got flies coming out of everywhere and there's red eyes out the window and somebody is constantly trying to get a shotgun and kill everybody. You know, that kind of stuff. And in this movie, that does happen, but it happens in the last like 10 minutes of the movie. And the rest of the time, the scares are pretty thin. Uh, most of it, and like it gets to this big reveal that's just like, of course, this is what the movie is about. I won't spoil it. In fact, fuck that. I will spoil it. The whole idea is it turns out that Jennifer Jason Lee moved there knowing the history of the house because, as she puts it, God turned his back on us. So I figured, let's give evil a shot, I guess. And um, it turns out when you, you know, make a deal with the devil, then. The devil comes calling Uh, and the brother wakes up and wants to kill everybody. But like I said, this only happens in the last few minutes of the movie and the rest of the time, it's just a lot of family melodrama and occasional like, Oh my God, was that our brother that we saw in the window or passing by in the hallway? That's impossible because he's supposed to be in bed and it's, it's just not scary ever. Um, which is the ultimate sin a horror movie can, uh, uh, can commit. And yeah, I mean, aside from the fact that Jennifer Jason Lee is pretty good in it, but you know, she's good in everything. Um, that's kind of it. There's really nothing to recommend this movie. And that's why it's only going to get a, a very thin one and a half stars out of this guy. Uh, it's just not very good. Amityville, the awakening is, is incredibly missable. And yet folks, that is not where I ended my Amityville horror shit. I still continued, but I went back. I went back and I thought, well, let's see where this all began. Not with the 79 Amityville horror. Cause I've seen that so many times. I'm like, I know what that movie is. Let me watch Amityville Two: the possession, which is a movie I hadn't seen in years and years and years. And remember only a couple of things about, and then folks, Amityville Two: the possession happened all over my face. And here is the trailer for that movie. The night of February 5th, 1976, George and Kathleen Lutz and their three children fled their home in Amityville, New York, and never returned. For them, the horror was over. Their living nightmare shocked audiences around the world in the Amityville horror. But before them, another family lived in this house and were caught by the original evil. The Lutzes escaped with their lives, but the previous owners weren't so lucky. Heavenly Father, bless our new home and watch over us as we become a part of this For the Montelli family, it was their dream house until it turned into a nightmare. What was in this house? 
What evil could drive their son to madness and destroy everything and everyone he loved? Amityville 2, The Possession. So the synopsis of Amityville 2, The Possession from 1982 goes, A family moves into their new home, which proves to be satanic, resulting in the demonic possession of the teenage son. Only the local priest can save him. And this is kind of the story of two movies. All right. First of all, it is directed uh, by Damiano Damiani, who directed such films as Il Giorno della Cavetta and La Vertimento. Um, not, not a ton actually of American films. Uh, in fact, Amityville two, I think is maybe, uh, I'm not saying it's his only American film. I'm saying it's one of his only American films at any rate. He is a, a, a madman, but I will say I, I like a lot of the direction in Amityville two. I think the, the camera has, uh, there, there are some fun motion to it, and there's one shot in particular that I like quite a bit that, you know, sort of puts the, the main character upside down. Um, it, it stars James Olsen uh, as Father Adamski, Adamski, who you might know from The Andromeda Strain, but probably not. Uh, or the episode Clarence, uh, or A Body to Die For on Murder, She Wrote. Um <laughs> It also stars Burt Young as Anthony Montelli, who is the guy. He plays Cousin Polly in the Rocky films, and he's a real piece of shit in this movie as well. Uh, Rutania Alda plays Dolores Montelli, the wife. Um, Jack Magner is Sonny Montelli, the, uh, the oldest son. Diane Franklin of Last American Virgin and uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Better Off Dead. Like, you would know her if you saw her. And she's in it as Patricia Montelli, the older sister. Um, and then Andrew Prine is in it for a couple of minutes. Sadly, a very short amount of time. He should be in it uh, a bunch, bunch more. And, um, yeah, so Amityville 2. Okay. Let's... Hmm, how to talk about this movie. So this, in, in a weird way, this is kind of a prequel or it's advertised as kind of a prequel to Amityville horror, but I don't know that I get that impression. It, it feels like a sequel to me, even though they're like, ah, eh, these are the DeFeos towards the end of that movie. I, I, at least I think that's what they say, but who could possibly know because uh, of how fucking crazy things get in this film. So there are two movies, one of them I like, and one of them I really don't. The first movie that makes up um, Amityville 2, The Awakening, I like quite a bit because it is schlocky and sleazy and weird. And it involves the family moving into the house right away. Weird shit is happening. You know, uh, again, windows are opening. 
Um, there's a, a lot of POV shots of the evil lurking around the house. A, a plumber goes into uh, the basement where the red room is and like literal shit is falling on him, which is pretty great. Like to me, that's real demonic, right? Like he looks down and it's just mud and shit in the basement and flies are crawling around in it. It's really gross and unnerving. I really, really like that stuff. And so right away, the family starts acting weird. Burt Young, who doesn't seem like the greatest dad in the world for Beginzies, starts beating the shit out of his kids. Uh, the youngest kids, young, you know, daughter and uh, young son, not Diane Franklin and uh, Sonny, um, who James Magner, Man- Manger, Magner, Jack Magner. Uh, is the guy who plays Sonny, the the star of our film, uh, as it were. Um, but no, the younger kids, like, uh, they scream as paintbrushes fly out of uh, the paint cans and draw a picture of this monster on their bedroom wall and so, uh, also writes, dishonor thy father and writes pigs all over the place. And that was pretty great. The animation on that stuff's real silly. Um, and then the the Burt Young comes in and is like, Hey, what's going on in here? And uh, the kids are like, the brushes, the brushes. And he's like, I'll show you some brushes. And just takes off his belt and starts beating the shit out of these kids. It's fucking amazing. And then... Um, <laughs> it's so good. I'll tell you, here's the problem I have with pretty much any... Like, hey, we're moving into a place uh, kind of movie is it takes about two and a half seconds to unpack and then everyone's ready to go for the film. And that's bullshit. As someone who has just recently moved, I'm still unpacking all kinds of stuff and you just don't see any of that in this movie. It's like, as soon as they walk in the front door and the movers show up, everything is exactly where they want it. Like the crucifix is hung on the wall. There's bric-a-brac on the shelves and shit. Like it's just, it's too much too soon. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, just something to look out for when you're watching haunted house movies. And it's like, oh my God, we're moving into our dream home. Let's hope it's not haunted. And then like the next day, everything is exactly where they want it for the rest of their lives. Anywho. So the brother, the older brother, Sonny, um, gets targeted by the demon in the house. And there's a scene where everyone's gone off to church and or gone out to dinner or something and Sonny saves behind and he gets super possessed. Um, and there's kind of a cool effect. One of the things I remembered from the movie where, uh, as he's breathing, like his abdomen sinks in, uh, to a, an alarming degree. And then they start emphasizing the awkwardly close relationship that he has with his old, his younger sister as played by Diane Franklin. And then the movie gets incesty, folks. Uh, not just hey, there's this implied attraction between uh, Sonny and and his sister uh, Patricia. It's like no, no, no. They totally get down, and it happens enough that she goes to confession about it, and the mother starts to like sniff out the fact that something's going on between the, the older brother and the younger sister. It's creepy, but it's also incredibly sleazy. And I, I think I said this in the Facebook group as I was watching it, 
that there was something that felt transgressive about it all. That, yes, it's really sleazy. Yes, it's really schlocky. But there's also something about that's like, oh, yeah, this is also a movie about evil and the devil. And why would the devil not want, uh, you know, an older brother to sleep with his younger sister? Because that's, a, yeah, you know, it, it's blasphemous. It's a horrible, horrible action. So, anywho, that part of the movie I really, really dig. And then the movie decides to try to get all fancy pants and become the exorcist. Like, so, spoilers, uh, Sonny fucking kills everybody in his family and is then arrested. And I was like, holy shit, man, we're wrapping this movie up quick. This is fucking great. And the the priest in the in the movie has come over to the house a couple of times and he and Sonny have gone a couple of rounds you know, verbally sparring a little bit. And the demon who possess him, uh, possesses Sonny is like, Hey, father, go up your butt with a coconut and whatnot. And the, the priest is, uh, has left town. Uh, Andrew Prine is like, let's go camping, son. And the priest is like, no, man, I gotta, I gotta hang out here. Cause, uh, I think one of my parishioners is having sex with her brother. And, I want to get wind of this. Like I need to be around for this in case I want to, you know, crank it, uh, to more talk of this. So it's the only way I get excited anymore. Andrew Prine anyway, but he goes camping with Andrew Prine and that's the night where Sonny kills the family. And so he blames himself for not answering that call when it, when it comes in. But, the movie then becomes the priest trying to save the soul of, uh, Jack Magner, Magnet, 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 Magner, Sonny, uh, is trying to save Sonny's soul and he's trying to get him to like, like get out of like asking the lead detective or whatever, or the chief of police or whoever he is. Like, hey, let me take this kid to the church. And he's like, are you fucking crazy? Like, he just killed his entire family. I can't just let you take him to church. But there's way too much of this stuff with the priest trying to save the soul of Sonny. It is 100% a ripoff of the movie The Exorcist, right down to, I need a petition for an exorcism. Oh, no, they're not going to let me get one. Oh, the devil is taunting me. Uh, about I'm trying to do this unauthorized exorcism up to and including the end of the movie, the priest saying, come into me. Oh Lord, have why? Like, let me take this burden and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's really bad. And it's so frustrating because I'm not saying that the front end of this movie is good. I'm saying it's fucking bananas and it's fascinating and it's a great movie to watch because of how sleazy and creepy and weird it is. And you got, you know, uncle Polly beating his kids and one dude fucking his sister because he's possessed. And the mother trying to play referee to all of this stuff going on in the house and their creepy goings on and all that stuff. Like there's a lot to recommend the first like hour of Amityville to, uh, the possession. In fact, if it had ended at the point where he kills his family, Sonny kills his family and the priest is like, I should have been here. Then I would have been like, Oh my God, this is like a four star movie. Like, you know, maybe even more like you need to watch Amityville too. Unfortunately, all that later stuff is 
just kind of dull. And because it's a, such a ripoff of The Exorcist, it makes the movie feel cheap and not just tawdry. I want it to be tawdry and sleazy. I don't want it to feel like a ripoff of an, a better film, uh, of a better movie. And so at the end of the day, I have to give Amityville to the possession three stars, which feels too low, but also the last eh, 40 minutes of the movie are just kind of boring and, and entirely, uh, it, it's just like they decide to shoehorn the exorcist into the end of the film. And it's not the movie it should be. It's not the movie that they set up, but it is worth watching for the first hour of it. The first hour of this movie is crazy good and good and crazy. I mean, so I highly, highly, highly recommend that. I just recommend that as soon as the murders go down at the halfway point of this film or a little past the halfway point, just turn it off because the rest of the movie is not going to be nearly as good as what you have just seen. So anyway, give that a look. Uh, and that's it. We're going to do one more of these, uh, and then try to figure out exactly, um, what to do with this kind of format moving forward. Uh, because I feel like we want to do something with it. So, uh, at any rate, Look, folks, uh, if you're listening to this, do me a favor. Make sure you're subscribed to Legion Podcasts uh, as well as Devour the Podcast on uh, iTunes and rate and review, all that fun stuff. Come over and say hi on the Facebook page, um, which is just, you know, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Devour the Podcast. Um, and yeah, you know, obviously the best way you can help us out uh, is not just to listen to the program, although I, I certainly thank you for doing so. But also by telling friends, you know, hey, if you're looking for a horror podcast uh, that uh, they might enjoy, send them our way. We would appreciate it. And uh, Devour the Podcast will be back uh, fully in November um, with the rest of the crew for a very special episode. I'll talk more about that next week. And I think that's it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Seven more movies down. Seven more to go before Halloween uh, tonight as I record this, is exactly one week before Halloween. I intend to get the next episode out uh, on Halloween proper. Proper. Uh, So, yeah, uh, we'll talk to you then. And uh, uh, an early happy Halloween. Let's let's get in. Can you feel it, the excitement? Oh, I'm carving a jack-o'-lantern tonight, y'all. It's going to be great. Okay, that's it. Uh, Talk to you soon, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Devour the podcast.